Well, good morning. Thank you for saying good morning back to me. Um, I do feel like if you hadn't, it might have created a little bit of an awkward moment that I could not have recovered from. Um, so my name is Nick Allen, the family and children's pastor here at Rolling Hills, and it's a privilege to be in this spot in 2015 um, as we continue our series called New Year, New You. Um, and I'm a person that each new year wants to be made new in some ways, and so I'm really excited about the opportunity to be here today. As I've sat where you are for the first part of this series, I've gazed upon the bounty of exercise equipment that we have on stage, really serving as a metaphor, and I have pondered the idea of beginning the message today by popping a set. Um, but I'm averse to embarrassment on either my part or yours, and so I, I won't. Um, but I'm intimidated by the fact that it's there, kind of like lurking behind me, taunting me, and saying things that I'm not comfortable with. Um, so good morning. I don't think, uh, I, I love the spot that I'm in today because it's a chance to talk about something that is incredibly important to the life of the church, but not just the life of the church, but the life of every single believer. Today we get to talk about service, um, and, and I couldn't be more thrilled personally um, than to be connected to this idea, um, and I'm really ready to dive in. There's no better place to start um, with Christian service than with the life of Jesus Christ. Um, and, and the biblical call that we have through him to serve. And so if you have your Bibles this morning with you, I hope that you do, you can turn along with me to Matthew chapter 20. That's our, our launch pad and then also something that we'll reference throughout. Uh, words will be on a screen if you need them because of someone who is serving, pushing buttons and making magic things happen. And also there's a, a, a Bible apps and, you know, find a way to look at scripture with me this morning. And I'm excited about us doing that together. In Matthew chapter 20, you encounter a moment with Jesus and some of his followers um, that involves the idea of, you guessed it, service. It says in verse 20, then the mother of Zebedee's sons approached him with her sons. She knelt down to ask him for something. Now, Zebedee's sons were James and John. We learn about them in Matthew chapter 4 when Jesus called his first disciples. They were mending their nets because they were fishermen, and Jesus called them to come and follow him. They immediately, the Bible says, left their nets and did just that. And so uh, the, the, the mother of Zebedee's sons, so um, Zebedee's wife, uh, James and John's mama, um, is coming to Jesus and asking a question. Now, James and John are prominent disciples throughout all of the New Testament narrative. Like, there's other disciples that we don't hear about very much, like um, Bartholomew and stuff, but James and John, they are key figures that we learn about often. It's like Peter, James, and John. Those are names that you hear spoken of often. So they are an integral part of the discipleship story of Jesus Christ and his followers in the New Testament. And it's this guy's mom that is coming to ask Jesus a question. He responds in a very theological way, what do you want? Promise, she said to him, that these two sons of mine may sit, one on your right and the other on your left, in your kingdom. She wants extra credit. This is the mom who goes to the teacher that says that her son deserved an A instead of a B. This is the mom who is pursuing excellence for her boys and wanting every leg up and advantage that they can possibly have. There are some mamas in the world just like the wife of Zebedee, pursuing what's best for your children. And this is how Jesus responded. In verse 22, it says, but Jesus answered, you don't know what you're asking for. Yikes. Are you able to drink the cup that I'm about to drink? We are able, they said to him. So now James and John, they're in on this too. They said, yep, we can do this. We can drink that cup. He told them, you will indeed drink my cup because they, they too, the disciples would all suffer. The disciples for the advancement of the kingdom in the early church, they would suffer in a manner, nah, not like Jesus because his was more, you know, his was bigger, let's be honest, but they would endure for the cause of Christ. So yeah, they were going to suffer, but he says, to sit at my right and left is not mine to give. Instead, it belongs to those 
for whom it has been prepared by my father. When the ten disciples heard this, the other ten guys, they became indignant with the two brothers. They're mad because these guys are trying to lord over them. These guys are trying to put themselves in a position of authority and power over the rest of believers. But Jesus called them over, all of them over, and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles dominate them, and the men of high position exercise power over them. Referencing the Roman oppression that they lived in, they lived in a culture where oppression occurred. They lived in a culture where dominance was power. They lived in a culture where people were mistreated and unfortunate. And so the only right course was to put yourself in a position over others because you didn't want someone else in a position over you. And Jesus says, it must not be like that among you. On the contrary, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Right out of the gate, we have a mission statement, a model for service given by Jesus himself, expanded and explained. And I needed to be said here that my understanding of service has evolved and changed over the years. It has most recently come to include a definition um, that um, it's from John Piper, which automatically gets a little bit of street cred in my book. It says... Service means to do what he says in a way that makes him look supremely valuable in himself. I'll just fill that in with God. Service means to do what God says in a way that makes God look supremely valuable in himself. You see, doing what God says is obedience. And service is uniquely tied to obedience because a a, a servant serves a master. And as believers in Jesus Christ, our master is the living God. Our master is the creator of the heavens and the earth, the maker of the known universe, who has no beginning and who also has no end. He is the first and he is the last. Everything that has been created has been created through him, right? He is the alpha and the omega. He is all powerful, all knowing, all everywhere, all the time. He ha- in fact, he has no time. He's just as much in the 1960s right now as he is in 2015, as he is in 2045, if we even get there, because God is all present and all-knowing. He, in his love and perfection, still desired intimacy with us to such a degree that despite our sins, he would ransom and redeem us back to himself and went so far as to accomplish that through the death of his own son. That's the master that we serve. But what does service actually mean? As a a ministry team leader here, I work with volunteers. And I love our volunteers. My work specifically is dealing with large and small group volunteers for elementary age kids. Um, I work on our family ministry team. And we literally deal with large and small group environments for birth all the way up through high school. If you are like voting age and under, we're your people. And we work with volunteers to make that happen. And they are absolutely incredible. On the peripheral, I'm privileged to work with other team leaders here whose volunteers usher and they greet and they lead worship and small groups and they host and everything else that happens in the life of our church is done and run by volunteers. And do you know what I see when I step outside of myself and I'm totally engaged in the inner working of the life of the church and I, and I observe, I've been here almost, well, pushing eight years now from the movie theater into this warehouse and every year in between, you know what I've seen? God looking awesome. I've, I'm literally, like, like literally, I am more attracted to Jesus right now because Mike and Ashley Fox are teaching second graders. 
I become more attracted to God when I see all the men carrying the umbrellas on rainy Sunday mornings, which we had a lot the past couple of months, and they're out there serving. I get thrilled when I stumble upon a meeting happening in Main Street after church last Sunday because of a whole team of people who are going out to South Africa to serve. I just, I get more attracted to God knowing that his people are serving. There are moments when it's sacrificial. There are moments when it costs. There are moments when it takes effort. I go to South Nashville some Sunday mornings and they're there at like 6.30 in the morning setting up an auditorium out of a gymnasium at an elementary school. I'm attracted to God when I see his people serve. And there's definitely been moments when it's hard, but, but I say to God's people this morning, to the volunteers who are here and to the ones who are like, not, they're just serving somewhere. I, I say, you make it look good. It's so worshipful. So evident of Christ in you. One of my, the primary components of a message today about service is to just, it's like a cheer. You guys remember the Saturday Night Live cheerleaders, the Spartans? Remember the 1990s? That decade was my jam. I loved it. It was Will Ferrell, who's still famous today and making all kinds of movies, and Sherry O'Terry. She was seriously the Kristen Wiig of my generation, but now nobody's heard from her in like a decade. She's probably a soccer mom in Portland, and I just... If I was feeling only 30% more self-deprecating than normal, I would seriously break out in a cheer that rhymed and had motions. (laughs) To cheer on our volunteers and to usher out this giant... Well done, good faithful servants, but then I realized that's Jesus' line, and you don't really upstage Jesus and live well, so I don't want to do that. I'll just say, at the bottom of it all is, way to go. Thank you. Rolling Hills, you're a church that serves well, and it makes Jesus look supremely valuable. But that final phrase is so important, in himself. Because Rolling Hills, you can serve in such a way to make yourself look indispensable. And as much as I want to say you're awesome, way to go, I I also want to say that the work of Rolling Hills Community Church and the work of God's advancement in this part of the kingdom can be accomplished without you. That's the thing about Jesus. He does not need us to accomplish his will and work. It's out of God's own generosity that we're even invited to play on the team. Church, you don't serve in such a way that makes you look necessary or highlights your gift. You do it in a way that reminds me that God is God and that he is so good. Considering all of this, and the thank you that accompanies is that I, I, I do know that there are some things that are important for us to look at today regarding the idea of biblical Christian service. And so we're going to expand on that this morning. Disclaimer, when you're talking about service, you can be talking about a couple of different things. The first that I'll highlight is serving in the context of your local church. That this specific body of Christ may grow and, and flourish and deepen and, and widen and reach as a result of you utilizing your ministry gifts. The second is out in the community and in the world, that we might leverage our resources and our abilities and even our time to make the world a better place so that Christ's name and his justice and his goodness can be made more present around us. And finally, just cultivating in you the general attitude of a servant that lives life in the humble nature of Jesus Christ. Uh, So we're going to expand on all three of those things this morning. And let me say really specifically that I believe that the call of the believer is all three of those things. That serving inside the context of your church but not making a difference in your community is not enough. Cultivating in you the heart of a servant that doesn't bleed out into serving within the local church is not enough. It's really all three. And we'll talk about that today as we dive into a couple of different characteristics that should be true 
of every one of Christ's servants. The first is the motivation to serve. These are in your notes, and you can fill in blanks as we go along the way. I provided the scripture references for you because we're going to hop back and forth through the whole of scripture canon this morning and evaluate what it says about servants all the way through. But I encourage you to go back to these passages and read the whole context from which they're from because you'll get an even better picture of what it means to be called and equipped to serve. The motivation to serve. Why do we do it? What in the world would make us want to live our lives contrary the way that Jesus said we should live our lives? And the first motivation is that of love. In Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 12, it says, Now Israel, what does the Lord your God require from you? This is good. We need a recipe. What do you want from us, God? But to fear the Lord your God, to walk in his ways and love him, and to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. First and foremost, we're to serve out of an attitude of love, which is our worship unto God for who he is and what he's done and what we see in him to reflect back his character to him. That word serve in the Hebrew is also translated as worship in other parts of the Bible, like in Psalm chapter two, in verse 10, where it talks about worshiping the Lord. It's the same word because our service is an act of worship unto God. So much so that I would venture to say out on a limb that knowing that the songs that we bring to God this morning and the corporate expression of our worship together is as much of a pleasing worship experience to him as the lady who's probably changing a diaper right now in studio one. That is a fragrant offering to God because our service is worship. Come on. And anytime we humble ourselves enough and leverage our gifts, service in the context of the church or out in the community, cultivating in us the heart of Jesus Christ, who was first and foremost a servant, then wow, we're worshiping God. And we do it out of an attitude of love and affection for him. Listen, no parent wants a child who obeys only because they're afraid of the consequences. That would be coercion. And let me tell you, we're not above using consequences to get our children to obey in my family, but it's not our primary motivator. Conversely, no parent wants a child who obeys them only in response to rewards. That's bribery. Now, that doesn't mean that we're not outside the bounds of going and using rewards to get our children to obey us, but it's not the primary motivation. We want the primary motivation to be love because they love us and because it's the right thing to do and because we want what's best for them. Similarly, husbands... Wives don't want flowers out of obligation. They want them out of an expression of our love. The most basic key component of why we serve in every and any context, inside the church, outside in the community, in the world, is ultimately a reflection of our attitude of love toward God. So if serving isn't our thing, then the first and most basic question that we must ask ourselves is, where is our love view of God? And how can it increase? The next motivation, duty. God knows that we're moody, and he knows that we're difficult, and he knows that we're a fickle people, and he knows that we are sinners. That's why he had to save us in the first place. So he allows us duty as a viable option in the context of our service. Consider it for a second in marriage. As a husband, I'm obligated to the commitment that I made to my wife. Should I put that in a love letter? No. It would be something like this. Dear Susan, you are so pretty, and I like your new haircut but lately you've really been getting on my nerves. However, I promise to stay because a promise is a promise and because my career as a pastor would likely be in jeopardy if I didn't love Nick. <laughs> I'm guessing that wouldn't go so well. And by the way, I would never say it because Susan, who was here at the first service, but not at the second because she's in a class, by the way, I love you, you're awesome, I, you look very pretty this morning, and I don't feel this way at all. Outside of salvation, you're the best thing that's ever happened to me, and I love you a lot. Okay, um, obligation can never be your primary motivation, 
But I want to redeem the word a little bit because I don't think it's all bad and it shouldn't be all negative to us. The idea of, oh, don't do anything because you feel obligated is really maybe just a put off and it's not necessarily all that bad because fulfilling a duty could be a healthy motivation. It's responsible. And responsibility should be elevated in our minds to a degree where we understand our Christian responsibility as believers who've been saved by Jesus to serve accordingly. Service is never about us. It's always wholly about another, and that other is God. And we should serve whether or not we feel the love because it's part of our duty as Christ followers. Jesus said in John chapter 6, verse 38, for I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but the will of him who sent me. That means that Jesus' will, any part of the human will that was present, was secondary to the fact that God had a will. And even in moments where he didn't want to accomplish that will, he submitted willingly as a demonstration to us and out of an act of love and duty to his Father to accomplish that will. I can tell you this. Maybe you're in a place where you don't feel like you want to serve or that you're equipped to serve or even capable of serving. My challenge to you would be to start from a place of obligation and duty. And to watch the magic of the Holy Spirit transform your heart and even your schedule and your desires to where the duty lessens and the love grows. My wife, she really is a servant. And I'm, I am quite frankly a piece of work all the time. Like really, I know there are moments when she serves me just out of obligation. That would have to be the case because I'm really a nightmare sometimes to live with and difficult and um, a, t- a pinch dramatic. And so there's just a lot going on all the time. And, and yet she serves so willingly. And I, I think that what she has sometimes done in our nearly 15 years of marriage to serve out of obligation um, and to bless me out of obligation has birthed in her a love for me that knows no explanation other than God. That he's allowed her to love me in a way that I don't deserve. He's allowed her to love me in a way that I don't understand. And I know that that love is not from her. She's a sinner too. Don't get me wrong. I mean, come on. She has her faults. It's from God. And because she's willing to be who he's called her to be, um, even when she may not want to, I think God is honored by that. It's an act of obedience. And so we we serve in response to the love that we have for God and also for the obligation that we feel and the sense of duty that we have as Christ followers to be sacrificial in our service. And the final motivation is my favorite one. It's survival. Right on the cusp of an encounter with a woman at a well, a Samaritan woman, no doubt, that Jesus has been engaged in ministry and literally her life is going to be changed and really the community around her is going to be changed because he has ministered to her at the point of her need. Well, his disciples come back to him and they're really worried that he hasn't eaten and so they want to get him to eat some food. And Jesus responds in John four thirty four by saying, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. You know, we need food to survive. And Jesus says that his food, his survival, is to do the will of the one who sent him to do the work. Another motivation for us to serve is nourishment because our souls will die without it. Nourishment. Survival. If God gave you the gift of teaching and you're actually using that as a career, then praise him. That means that he, in his generosity, he's allowed you um, to make a living teaching others. He's given you the gifts and the temperament and the skill set to give kids math or reading or some other awesome subject. Great. But if you're not actively pursuing an opportunity to use those gifts of teaching to communicate the life-changing message of Jesus Christ and his word by edifying his body, the local church, then my hunch is that your life is one that's marked by a level of emptiness that you cannot explain. And you may think that it's the principal or the kids are really difficult and rowdy or the parents are really hard to communicate with or the board of education made a bad decision or somehow the common core is the thorn in your side. But 
I would be willing to assert today that it's probably because you're a constipated Christian who's not expelling the gifts that the Lord has given you in a practical way that he's called you to. Some of you are in industries that involve customer service and leadership and salesmanship where you could sell ice to someone living in Alaska and diffuse an atom bomb of customer dissatisfaction. But if you're not leveraging and using those gifts given to you by God to make other people feel welcome and invited and encouraged and included in this body, what you're not realizing is that the same God who gave you those gifts to pursue a career has designed you specifically in mind that you might utilize those same gifts to grow his kingdom. I need you to know, and I make this promise um, with 1,000% honesty, that we are not as concerned with filling a quota of volunteers in the life of this church as we are concerned with a generation of adults who leverage everything about themselves to serve the living God and to expand his kingdom. If you've ever walked away from this church or any church under feelings of guilt or coercion because somebody just wants you to do something that you don't want to do and that you don't have time for, then I am so very sorry and I take full responsibility of any feelings that you've experienced to that degree. I need you to know that my burden is not a room full of kids that needs a teacher or a parking lot full of guests that need direction or a room full of believers that need a disciple maker. We feel responsibility for that, sure. I have responsibility in every one of our ministry environments to make sure that they are staffed, but a burden is very different. Here's how. My team, Chase, Anna, Jen, Kenley, Jen, uh, Jennifer, Christina, we are responsible for making sure that we have enough volunteers to cover ministry environments for kids' birth through high school graduation. Leo is responsible for making sure that we have enough musicians and enough singers um, who are also talented, way to go guys, for leading us to a, a, a corporate environment of worship. Wes, he's responsible for making sure that we have enough volunteers to do technical things, and I'm real glad that they know how to do those technical things. Laura and Rachel, they team up to make sure that we have enough volunteers to, to, to greet guests and to host info tables and small groups and to lead those small groups and to usher and collect offering and to be on the parking lot with umbrellas, making sure that people can get in on rainy days. Like, we feel a responsibility to make sure that the volunteer mechanisms that operate Rolling Hills run smoothly, but a burden is very different. We're not burdened for volunteer recruitment. We are burdened for spiritual growth. And we do not want anyone serving so that they can fill a hole. We want them serving because it's obedient to Christ. And if you're not serving, you're living outside of obedient to Christ and you're not a healthy Christian. Doing the will of God the Father is like food and you need nourishment. And if you're a Christian not engaged in opportunities to serve the local church, outside the church, and in a general attitude of cultivating a humble attitude of a servant like Jesus in the world, then it's unhealthy. And I'm pained by that. I can promise you that we as a church are far more concerned with you being spiritually well than any one of our ministry environments running smoothly. There is a motivation to serve, and it's that we love God, and there is a duty to Him that we want to express. And it's also nourishment for our very souls. Characteristic number two is about the method of serving. 
and we need the right method to serve. The first verse that I want to highlight is from Psalm chapter 100, verse 2. It says, serve the Lord with gladness. And so the right method of serving is gladness. We want to be glad about serving God, which what, boil it down to say it doesn't matter just what we do, but it matters how we do it. That word gladness in the Old Testament Hebrew can also be translated as mirth, which is merriment, which is often translated as laughter. So we're to serve the Lord with merriment. We're to serve the Lord with laughter. We're to serve the Lord with joy because it's a gift that he's given us. And so the method that we're supposed to serve God is not eyes rolled in the back of the head. Oh, I got to do this this morning because it's my duty. No, it's out of a love and out of a care and out of the joy that we find in doing it. So we serve the Lord how gladly. It matters how we serve. Next, significance. First Peter 4.11 says, if anyone serves, it should be from the strength that God provides so that God may be glorified through Jesus Christ in everything. To him belong the glory and the power forever and ever. I often hear about people talking about gifts for service. Every church has a spiritual gifts inventory where we help you identify the things that you're uniquely good at and the way that God has specifically wired you so that you might be better fit for service in his church and his kingdom. And those are fantastic. And we want to help you explore that as a body of believers. If you want to know specifically how God has wired and shaped you for service, then Laura Chapman, she's your gal. She can help you figure that out. But... Even knowing what I know about Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12 and Ephesians 4, which talks about the body of Christ and how we're knit together to serve different functions, I also want to say that we can't just operate in the area of our unique giftedness. We also have to operate in the area of our unique deficits. Because if I were to only ever serve in the areas that I'm naturally awesome at, I might have a temptation to get a little bit satisfied in myself, which would lead to pride, and pride always leads to a fall, and I have an aversion to falling, so I don't want to do that. Instead of just leveraging my gifts... I also need to serve from a place of total dependence upon God's strength. And sometimes that means serving in an area of my weakness, of my fear. Why? So that God may be even more glorified. So that God may get even more credit. Because if he can use Nick Allen to do that, he can use anyone to do it. And he's pretty amazing for being able to do that to begin with. It's a little bit like maxing out when you're weightlifting. It's great to always do three sets of ten reps of a comfortable weight. That's exercise for sure. But there comes a point where you need to pile it on and just get to that one rep max. You're increasing your strength load, your total output. And when you settle back into a comfortable weight again, it's going to be higher than the comfortable weight that you had before. That way your next max can be higher than the last max. We want to be pushing ourselves. We want to be increasing the degree by which we are able to serve. And we do that by pressing through in our weakness. I want to open-handedly serve God in such a way that pushes me to the limit. That's how I get stronger. And that's how he gets more credit and becomes supremely more valuable in and of himself with no help from me. Significance means serving from a position of, I don't know if I can do this unless I have God's help. In fact, if you've been serving in a position at Rolling Hills for a really long time and it no longer requires you to ask God for help before you do it, then it might be time to add on some weight and push yourself to the next level. The third method is with sacrifice. We go back to Matthew chapter 20 and Jesus explained in verse 26, it must not be like that among you. On the contrary, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant and whoever wants to be first among you must be your slave. Just as the son of man did not come to be served but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Service should cost. David said, I will not give to the Lord that which costs me nothing. And just as in exercise, you feel the burn, you feel the tearing of the mud, you feel like the total exhaustion, but then all of a sudden you get the endorphins and you feel better afterwards and you realize that all of the effort was worth it. Just as your body feels good after a workout, there should be some burn 
There should be some resistance. There should be some effort involved in serving. If it, if it doesn't, it's probably not serving. At least not from a place of significance where you're depending upon the strength of the Lord. We worship God by reflecting back to him the character of Christ. Christ said to be a servant. Servant here in verse 26 is the word diakonos in Greek. It means deacon. It's how we translate the word deacon. We're given a job description for people who call themselves deacons in the life of the early church and in churches today that they might be servants to the body of Christ and that the church may grow as a result of their unique leadership. Well, that same word being employed by Jesus is not talking about a specific audience of just men who serve as deacons or just women who serve as deacons. It's talking about all of us taking on the nature of a servant and finding a place to put ourselves beneath others to where we serve as a reflection of Christ's goodness. That word slave in verse 27 is doulos. We're to be a servant, a deacon. We're to be a, a doulos, a slave. And it literally means one under the authority of another, but it's a unique word because it's not by force as slavery was in the Old Testament, as slavery was in the New Testament. And let's just be quite honest, as slavery is in all parts of the world today, by force, by coercion, by, by oppression, this is slavery from one who willingly gives himself up to the will of another. Why would we do that? Because we know that Jesus Christ's will is better than ours. So let me willingly give myself up for the will of God so that it may be accomplished in my life so that he may seem supremely more valuable to me and to others around me in and of himself. It's one who willingly puts the needs of others above that of his own. And I want to be that kind of sacrificial servant. We serve God gladly out of a place of weakness so that he may seem more significant and out of a personal sacrifice that costs. Final characteristic is about God's grace for service. Grace is God's unmerited favor. It's God giving to us that which we don't deserve and it doesn't stop with salvation. His graces never end and one of his graces to us is service. It's his generosity that allows us to serve. First, with joy. Psalm 40 verse 8 says, I delight to do your will, my God. Your instruction lives within me. It will be a joy to serve. It should fulfill us. The will of God is that we would find delight, enjoyment, fulfillment in serving him in our local church and in the community around us and that we would find delight in obeying his word to the degree that the characteristics of Christ are birthed in us and we start to look a little bit more like Jesus who was a servant. In 2014, 570,000 patents were issued in this country for brand new products, most of which promised to make life easier and better and simpler and faster for consumers. That is not the goal of the church. The goal of the collected body of Christ should always be to give all of our attention and all of our worth to God in our lives. And one of the most evident practical ways that we do that is when we serve. Sometimes I think when Christians hear the word service, they hear the word spinach. When in truth, they should hear the word chocolate. Because it's a joy. Service is a dessert after a really good meal of salvation that we've been afforded. And let's just, okay, before you're the 1% of people in this room that comes up to me and afterwards and tells me that my illustration is false because you like spinach better than chocolate, just realize that you're an outlier on the bell curve and that nobody else agrees with you and I am making sense. <laughs> Service is meant to be a joy. It's a gift. It is a privilege God has created us in such a way that doing his will brings us joy. He could have made accomplishing his will like a flu shot and still expected that we give our all. But in his pleasure and in his goodness, he created us to enjoy serving him. How good is that? There's another grace that comes from serving and its purpose. That we would find our purpose in Christ. 
Matthew chapter 7 is the conclusion of, of a really big sermon that Jesus preached about the kingdom of God. And in verse 21, it says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. Now, there are lots of ways that you could take this verse, and several of them would be really false because there are so many heresies regarding the practice of Christianity. And by far the most dangerous, to me at least, is the idea of a works-based theology. I want you to hear me say that nothing you do or don't do could make God love you any less. So please, by all means, continue to be a lazy Christian, and God's not going to love you any less for that. Conversely, nothing you do or don't do could make God love you any more. So work yourself all frazzled to the bone all you want to, but it's not going to make God love you any more than he already could through Jesus Christ. There is nothing that you could do or not do that makes him love you any more or any less. No points that you could earn in heaven. No salvation achievement that you could earn. It was a free gift given to us. But make no mistake, scripture is clear. It gives us serving God as a barometer on the outside of what is happening to us spiritually on the innermost parts of our inside. And I would be misinterpreting scripture if I did not say to you that your service in this church and your service in the community around us and our service collectively across the globe is an indicator of who Jesus is to us. It's the evidence of the existence of our faith. And if there is ever a moment of doubt, it should be easily covered up by the cultivated heart of a servant who wants to love God in that way. Service takes effort, it it, it takes commitment, and it takes consistency, but it yields a blessing that draws us closer to God through the person of Jesus Christ and a joy and an enthusiasm that can only be found in him. So if the Christian walk that I live is lacking, I would be willing to suppose that it's not just the level of day-to-day discipleship that I employ or the prayer life that I cultivate, but also the attitude to which I respond to opportunities to serve. If it is not a little bit inconvenient, it's not service. If it does not cost, it's not service. If it fits so neatly into our schedule that we can do it with our hands tied behind our back with no effort at all, it's not service unto the Lord. And we need to figure out what it is that's going to demonstrate our love for God. Offer to him the duty that he's owed. Nourish our souls and bring us the kind of joy and purpose that can only come from serving him in sacrifice. Four practical steps, super simple, to help you get to a place of service. The first is jump in. Um, Please find me. Laura Chapman's better than me. Find her instead. Find a place where you can volunteer and serve. In fact, anybody that's on the staff of this church would love to help you more than anything. Find a place where your gifts can be leveraged um, to grow the kingdom and to reach our community. So we just want to help. Um, There are tables that are set up in the gallery today with volunteers to help you get plugged into areas of service to highlight specific needs. Please um, don't leave without checking that out. The second thing is do the work in your spiritual growth plan of asking God to cultivate in you the heart of a servant. It's okay if you don't already have it. It's okay if you think it's drudgery. It's okay if you think it's difficult, but just ask God to do the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit to change that in you and to make you someone who wants to. He will. Jump in, number three, with both feet and give it your all. Pretend like it's the fourth quarter, third down, ninth inning, last 20 seconds on the clock, whatever sports metaphor you have to use to to, kind of understand that there's not much time left and that you better jump in and give it your all. I can only promise to you today that your growth and the kingdom growth that happens as a result of that 
will be exceedingly worth it. And then finally, take someone else along with you. If you're already serving in a place that you love, it is the cherry on the top of a really good dessert, and you should share that with someone else. Um, Find ways to work into conversation the story of how you got to serve and the story of why you love it and the story of how you've grown from it and invite them to take part in what you love to do. It's evidence of Christ in you. It's one of the ways that you give him exceeding value. It's one of the ways that you worship by telling the story of what Christ is doing in you. He gets attention that way. When Michelangelo was asked how he carved the statue of David so masterfully, he responded by saying he took the right stone and cut away every part that wasn't David. I leave today telling you that's my prayer request for my life. That God would take this raw material and cut away every single part that doesn't look like Jesus. And I'm confident that as he does that in me and as he does that in you, two things are going to happen. One, he's going to get supreme value and lots of glory and he's going to look even more attractive to us than he did before. And we in turn will look like servants. What will be left when he takes away all the parts that don't belong is the humble heart of a servant who didn't care as much about being first and best as he did about laying it all out on the line in service to his God. I would like to invite men and women who are ushers here um, as we highlight service um, to come forward. This is an opportunity for us to continue our worship service to God by giving him tithes and offerings um, that tell him faithfully, God, we trust you with our money more than we trust ourselves. We're so thankful for the blessings you give us and we ask that you take them and multiply them. Do something amazing for yourself and your kingdom as a result. This is an expression of our worship to God. Father, we are grateful for all the blessings that you've given us. And Father, we are sorry for all the ones that we miss because we are too blind to see how generous you are. Father, we pray that you would take these offerings and these tithes um, as an expression of obedience and that, God, you would multiply them for use in your kingdom so that your name may be made great in this community and so that you can receive the glory that you are due. We love you. And we offer this in the name of Jesus, who demonstrated what it's like to be sacrificial for us. Amen. My name is Bud Harlan, and I am part of the Rolling Hills South Nashville campus. I have been going to Rolling Hills for about two years. I started in the Franklin campus and then made the move up to South Nashville. And I started going to Rolling Hills probably for about six months before I really started getting plugged into what the church was doing. I was not really plugged in um, to serving. I was not plugged into a community group. I just was showing up on Sunday mornings um, hoping somehow to get connected. And that's kind of been um, my story. Um, I've been in Nashville for about four years and I was sort of connected to another church, but not really. Uh, I knew how to get connected. I knew that thing that I needed to do to get connected, but I just... I, I, I wasn't taking the step. I wasn't doing it. When I would just come and um, I was there on Sunday mornings, I, I didn't know faces, I didn't know names. Uh, and so in order to, to get to know people, in order to know names and know faces and, and feel like this is a family, this is a community, um, I had to serve. And I just, I knew that that was the missing piece. That's what I had to do. I was at Rolling Hills for about six months and then finally took the step and got plugged in serving in the preschool area with Anna Townsend um, and then 
made the move to South Nashville. I helped with the setup team at South Nashville, got plugged into a community group, and it's been um, so amazing to me to see how those two pieces, those two key pieces, serving and getting plugged into a community group have made all the difference. I feel like I have a community um, of, of, of believers um, that are encouraging to me, that I have as family here in Nashville that I didn't have before. It's so imperative, it's so important. You know, if you come on Sunday mornings and, and that's, all, that's all you're doing, I challenge you just to take that step of faith and to see how the Lord blesses your obedience. Uh, to, to, to step out and get plugged in and, and start serving. You'll meet people, you'll know names, you'll, you'll know faces. Um, instead of coming on Sunday morning and just being another face and a, and a sea of faces, you'll, you'll know people. You'll get to know them um, in just a very uh, personal way. Um, and that uh, will play out so significantly over your faith journey. And so um, those, those two things, uh, community and serving, um, are just so huge to me personally um, in, in getting connected. Um, sums it up, and I couldn't have said it better. If you are looking for a place to serve and get connected, all we want to do is help you grow and be healthy and whole and well in that way. Um, if you're here today, and this is still just so new, and the idea of New Year, New You is still um, so fresh for you, and you desire to um, really just take what, your first step and to make your first step the right step, um, we're beginning a class in the next couple weeks called Starting Point. Um, and that Starting Point class is, is a key initial discipleship formation class for you to get to figure out just what it is that you need to be doing and experiencing um, as a believer in Jesus and as part of this church. Laura Chapman um, is going to be here at the conclusion of our service to answer any questions that you have about that, but also any questions that you have about serving. Reminder, there are some tables in the back that highlight key areas where you could plug in um, and be a volunteer in our church and our community, and so I invite you to hit those today before you leave. All we desire um, is that we would grow ever deeper in our faith and ever more in love with God. And we know one of the evidences of that is how we serve. And so let us help you take whatever step that is you need to take today to engage in that. Let me pray a prayer of blessing over us um, that God might be glorified in us. Father, we thank you for this day. Um, we thank you for the opportunity that we have to hear your word. And Father, we pray that it would be a message that does not leave us, um, but that sticks with us and forms part of our identity uh, as servants in Jesus Christ. Um, God, we pray that you may be blessed by a people who obediently live our lives in an attitude of love reflection of who your son Jesus is, who was a servant. We just desire for you to do the work of cutting us away to make us more like him. And we would see your glory expanded as a result of that. God, you are so good. We commit this week to you. We commit our lives to you. May you be glorified. In the name of Jesus, we pray blessings on these people and on this place um, and on our hearts. Amen. Thank you. Go and be blessed.